Stephen. Zoobs, welcome back to the podcast. How's life? Anything new happened in your life recently? I mean, I got to finally announce, get that clout that I got married two months ago. That was that was pretty fun. I, I kept that secret on this podcast a month ago. But uh, back in the city, no more living by the lake. Uh, j- just ready for sports to come back. It's, it's something that uh, for a little bit I acted like it was no big deal. And then I watched one practice and I was like, no, give me this every single day <laughs> for sure. Yeah, congrats to you and Melissa. First of all, how hard was it to just keep that secret uh, to the two of you? And I guess obviously your family and maybe close friends uh, for two months. Because we live in an era where uh, people love to make the announcements. Yeah, it was it was tough. The thing is, is our parents had never met. We've been together five years. Our wedding day was our five-year anniversary and our parents had never met. And uh, when we got married, it was a five-person limit. So you count us plus an efficient, plus a photographer and my best man so that one family wasn't there and one wasn't. So we had to get our parents in the same room because we wanted them to know first. So that was difficult um, because, you know, living in Toronto, neither of our folks are from the city and we don't drive, we don't have cars. So it's hard to see our families, period. And to see them both at the same time is extremely hard. So uh, it was super, it was super nice to finally get everybody together and tell them and celebrate. Um, No one was mad, which was nice, but it was difficult because, people would be like, oh, you guys should just elope and you guys should just do this. And it's like, yeah, we already did. I I don't want to admit it, but we've been married for two months. It's not a big deal. That's amazing. Um, I think it's because like one of my friends, uh, Mark, like he was supposed to have his wedding, Mm -hmm. um, I want to say in late March. Um, And then, of course, uh, this pandemic thing that you might have heard about happened. Um, And uh, like now he's rescheduled it to October and I'm not even sure if uh, weddings so. are going to be a thing in October, right? Yeah, it depends on how many guests you have. I guess if you are if you have like 50 guests, there's a shot. We originally rescheduled for August, uh, and our plan was to not tell anybody until the rescheduled wedding, but she has family in the States, and it, it feels like they will never be allowed in Canada again. So we just decided to, fuck it, let's just make this uh, make this official and tell everybody, and and uh, get it out of the way because it's not the kind of thing you want to keep secret for a whole year. Yeah, and I think the thing is, as long as the two of you were, were happy with it, that's all that matters, right? Yeah, it, it's you know what? Here's a nobody cares about your wedding except for you, right? Like that's the reality. It's <laughs> the reality. And this was the most extreme example of that: is no one had to pretend to care, no one had to book a hotel. It was perfect. Yeah, not not to dive back into uh, the good old days of uh, stuff white people like. But, you know, like in Asian culture, uh, like the parents are like very predominant in terms of uh, making decisions, uh, you know, regarding the wedding in terms of guest list um, and basically, uh, you know, basically every single thing uh, around the wedding. It becomes about them. Is it similar uh, with white people? No, not really. I mean, maybe maybe for a certain level of white person that has like a pedigree or like family honor but like no not at all not at all like uh you know melissa's family has people that they wanted her to invite like you know mom's friend or whatever but 
it all they can do is suggest it and get ignored. It's you know part of white culture is rebelling against your parents actively. So it's it's a major it's a major thing to not be involved at all. That's amazing. All right, that's enough of the personal interrogation. Um, so baseball okay. is back this week. So you were talking about um, you know kind of the level of excitement uh, that you mm-hmm. have uh, with the season uh, approaching. So you know. Obviously, you know, I follow the NBA uh, very closely and there's been a lot of indifference in terms of 22 teams going to the bubble, especially with the fact that the bubble is in Florida. Um, How would you compare the level of excitement just amongst uh, baseball fans for this 60 game season? You know, I I think you see a lot of statements where you have to first say that you think it's a shame that they're doing it and you have to first be like, you know, I don't I don't agree with the idea and and you have to get all that uh, moralizing out of the way, which is true because it is a crazy idea, not just that they're playing, but they're traveling like the teams are playing in their home stadiums, except for Toronto. Uh, it, it's 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 really bold. And by bold, I mean, like sort of idiotic and dangerous. Um, but, you know, personally watching inner squad games in the last two days and watching Mets Yankees uh, it was immediate it came flooding back and, and that's somebody who I spent the last three or four months just like that indifference so sort of being like yeah we'll see if I'll be able to handle it but you know let's see what happens if a Raptors practice gets televised you're going to want to watch it because it's a fun it's fun and you miss it and it's your favorite thing so I have uh, unfortunately dove head first I, i'm all the way in the tank i'll probably watch all 60 games i'm i'm sick in the head in that way but but you, you forget like what have you been doing with your time for the last four months i've been doing nothing so to actually have something to watch uh i'm looking forward to the to the break from the daily onslaught of news which will obviously bad news will still happen all day but at least i'll have three hours where i can i can watch some baseball and get mad at that for a change yeah i can't wait to uh, end this podcast and go back to just watching sports. Um, and I think a 60 game season uh, is great too, because it's just a two month sprint and, you know, I have you on today. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, obviously about the season. And then I want to uh, get your help to help me pick uh, teams to bandwagon uh, in each division, which I'm really excited about. And we're going to talk about the Jays because, because the Jays are such a interesting uh, scenario now that the federal government is like, you can't play here. Um, so does this mean with the 60 game season that literally every single team thinks they have a chance to make the playoffs? Is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, to, to draw an easy parallel, uh, to the NBA, we're, we're talking about if the NBA decided a 30 game season was who, who, who wins. Like that's, it's, it's a 30, 37% of a regular season is what they're playing. That's about 30 games in the NBA. And yeah, you know, terrible baseball teams go on 10 game winning streaks all the time. Uh, the best example I can give you of this getting hyper local is the 2014 Blue Jays. That was not a good baseball team. They were not, they ended up really well back of the division, but through 60 games, they were six and a half games up on the Yankees. They would have been by far the AL East champions through 60 games. Sort of the, the design of the 162 game schedule is that after that is done, there is literally zero question who the best teams in each division are because because the game is so random because so many things can happen because you know the injured list is 10 days which is now a sixth of the season uh it, it's sort of designed to protect against randomness and and really 
the cream is supposed to rise to the top. In 60 games, man, anything can happen. A, a really bad player can be an MVP candidate. It, it's really going to be wild because of how much these things swing. And as well as, as these guys, we'll see who's ready. We'll see who is ready to go off the hop as a pitcher or a hitter. And, and, and somebody that you don't expect can be unbelievable and somebody that you do expect to be good can be really bad because two month swings, 60 games is, is really, really nothing like guys turn around 60 game slumps or, or come back down to earth after 60 game hot streaks literally all the time. So it, it, it's anything can happen. Any, any team can be good for 40 to 50 to 60 games. Yeah. The way I look at it is like 60 games is like 12 times, uh, 12 turns around like a five man rotation. Yep. And like, that's yep. it. Uh, which, like you mentioned, is uh, such a short sample. So going back to, you know, the fact that, you know, everybody but the Jays uh, have a place to play right now. So what's going on in terms of, like, testing protocol when these teams are traveling to new cities? I believe it's uh, every two days they're doing testing. They're not going to uh, quarantine in place for 14 days each place they go because baseball series, they're only going to be in these towns uh, three to four nights. They're going to do their best, I guess, to contain this. This is this is where the plan really falls apart for me, and this is where Canada said we we can't have it. Like if the Jays were going to stay in Canada the entire time, and teams they were going to play, sort of like the NHL, if every team was in Canada, the government would be fine with it. But coming back and forth across the border right now, when teams are playing in Florida, uh, is really really dangerous. So the the plan that I have seen is testing every other day. Uh, this plan sort of fell apart basically right right away in in the beginnings of the what they called summer camp uh there was teams the nationals and the giants had to stop practicing because their tests that they took on july 1st weren't ready july 4th and you know the nature of this thing is you can get tested july 1st be negative july 2nd get the virus july 1st not get tested again till the 4th not get those results again till the 6th and then you've played positive for four days and then who knows, now you're in a different city and now you're backtracking. So it's one of those things where the more layers you really look at it, the more it feels like it might just fall apart. But boy, as of right now, I mean, it's America's game. They're doing the American thing. They're plowing forward like nothing is wrong and they're going to do it whether you whether you like it or not. Uh, it, it seems dangerous. It seems scary. But that's the price, I guess, uh, they've been willing to pay. And I guess it's worth mentioning that, you know, when they came up with this plan, uh, Florida hadn't jumped back up to like worst place on the planet levels again. But but that has sort of happened in the month that they have planned to come back. And, and that's true for all sports, of course. Yeah, I feel like this is going to be a, a really interesting test case to see if they can pull off the entire season. Because, you know, with the NBA and NHL, you know, they're doing the bubble and they're doing the hub cities. Whereas baseball is really the first North American league to just go ahead and say, we're just going to do regular travel. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and part of it, uh, I think part of it was they had hoped that by September, October, maybe they could have fans in. I know the Yankees talked about in the ideal world, in, in a playoff game, they would have, I think, like 20% capacity. But that now seems like completely absurd. Yeah, and I've, and I've heard people uh, say that, you know, as they're watching uh, these uh, scrimmages, uh, these inter-squad games, that uh, baseball compared to other sports isn't as affected uh, by, the, by the fact that there are no fans in, in the stadium. Uh, do you agree with that, having watched some of these games? Yeah, totally. You sort of, it calls to mind 
how quiet baseball is a lot of the time anyway. Like until a ball is put in play, you sort of just have that uh, that murmur in the background, that random chatter as people are catching up and sort of just talking and being social in the crowd. Obviously, as the season gears up and as we get closer to playoffs, noise becomes more of a factor. But the reality is, is that a lot of baseball stadiums are operating well below seating capacity anyway. There are places like all of the Florida teams really struggle to get attendance. Uh, we saw the Jays hit record lows in the last couple of years. So quiet baseball stadiums is not a new thing, and it's not a sport that lends itself to constant noise for three straight hours because that is hard on your vocal cords and hard on your brain and very grating. So I think it'll almost bring a sense of calm. They're going to pump in crowd noise from the video game and will be the show. They're going to pump that into the stadiums, and they're still going to do walk-up music and stuff. But uh, I didn't find it particularly distracting, but I may have also been just like 100% enamored with the fact that I got to watch a baseball game and stop thinking about how terrible everything is for a couple of hours. But yeah, no, I, I don't think it's that big a deal. I think, you know, uh, people who have been watching the Premier League uh, soccer overseas have also sort of noticed that it's a sport that lends itself to large periods of quiet. So I don't think it'll be as uh, much of an effect as, say, watching the NBA finals and it not being loud. I'm really interested to see what NBA is like because, you know, you're, you've been to games and you've been very close there's a ton of communication that doesn't come across on regular broadcasts that i'm really excited to hear about yeah you know i think there will be some positives that come out of it but it's all going to be really weird and i think for baseball it's only going to come into play the no crowd thing when say you have like the bases loaded and you're quote unquote playing a home game in like Mm -hmm. the bottom of the ninth or something like that right like you're going to really miss those kind of moments like when the when it's a full count uh, and things like that. One of the fascinating things for me with, with this baseball season, which is why I'm ready to make my own return to baseball, is uh, these new rules. So they're implementing, if I have it correct, uh, there's going to be a designated hitter in the NL. Yes, there is going to be a designated hitter in the NL. And yeah, and there's a runner at second, I want to say. Is this some extra innings rule where they're going to start with a runner at second? Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. So so how does that work? So let's go like the Jays are at the Yankees and the top of the 10th. So the Jays will have a runner on second to start the inning? Yes. So this is this comes from international play. You, they get this from um, when, when international tournaments and, and like the Olympics and the Pan Am games and stuff because these games can go on forever. Every year when you watch baseball, there's one or two games that go to like 17, 18 innings. That ends up being a six to seven hour game. Um, these guys are not going to have the amount of time off they usually have. It, it's something that, you know, not that they have a ton of time off, but it's usually one or two days every two weeks. They're not going to have that now. These 60 games are really, really condensed. Uh, and with the unknowns as to how health is going to hold up and to how many guys are going to be lost off rosters through illness or fatigue, uh, these are both designed to get pitchers uh, a little less work. So it's going to start. There's going to be a runner on second base for both teams to start their part of the inning. This is just designed to get run scoring, to just get things going. Um, you might see, you know, one team fails to score in the top half. So the other, the other team starts off the bottom half of the inning with a bunt to move that guy to third. So then all they need to do is drive him 90 feet. It's, 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 you know, it, I'm not as much of a purist as some guys. You, you could probably get a 50-year-old man on here that will rant and rave and say that this is a, a shame or a crime or they don't play the right way, but um, it's not that serious. I, I think something that you have to take into account 
with all of these leagues and all of these comebacks and all of these new rules uh, for any sport that's about to come back is you sort of have to get used to the idea that you're going to have to throw fair, quote unquote, out the window sometimes. Like what's fair might not always happen this year. That's just the way it's going to be. And the NLDH is something that's been that's been a split for as long as baseball has been. The National League has not played with the DH. That's another thing um, for pitcher health because they, they don't know how many pitchers a team is going to use in 60 games or, or how much these guys can really handle as a workload. It's going to be interesting because there's National League teams now. We'll see when the trade deadline happens a month into the season uh, whether National League teams are now looking for an extra hitter, a guy who doesn't field as well as, as a National League team would normally want because you know somebody like Edwin Encarnacion, for example, Blue Jays fans are familiar with, when he was looking for a new team this year, basically he only had half the league to pick from because he can't really feel the position and the, the odds of him playing a National League team are pretty low. Now that market changes, those teams can be in the hunt for those kind of guys. So that'll be something interesting to watch. I think it, it makes the game better. As much fun as it is to watch a hitter, a pitcher hit a home run, like the majority of the time you're watching a team's number five starter strike out on four pitches. And it's just... It's just not that entertaining, and it's not that much strategy. Anybody that complains about the lack of strategy uh, is probably really old, and uh, so it goes. But I guess baseball's average fan is like 55, so that that's the kind of person they're pissing off. So. I still can't believe that's the average age <laughs> yeah. of a fan, but sometimes when I go on Twitter, it makes sense. Um, do you think these rules will stick? I mean, obviously, I know the runner at second to start extra innings um, probably is too extreme. Uh, for the 55 year old uh, crowd, but like uh, DH in the NL, you know, I know it's been talked about for like years. Uh, do you see potentially like going forward when baseball is back to normal again, 162 game schedule, that something like a DH in the N- NL will just be a thing? I think it has a chance. I think you're going to see more than anything, you know, the players sort of look at this and go, this doubles the amount of jobs that some of our guys have the opportunity to to get and something that has been part of the labor problems that baseball has had in the last couple of years is those veteran guys, those guys that are 32, 33, 34 years old, sort of a Jose Batista, uh, if you will, at the tail end of his career, those guys aren't getting paid. Those guys aren't getting jobs. And part of that is because, you know, as your athleticism declines at that age, your ability to field your position lessens a little bit, but if you can still, turn on a fastball, there should still be a job for you. And there hasn't been. And there's, a, there's a, been a whole wave of guys that 10, 20, 30 years ago would have absolutely had longer careers. But the the owners and the general managers are just sort of like, well, we're not going to pay for past production on a guy who can't field a position and, and will be a platoon guy on our team. So I think come the next collective bargaining agreement, which could very well end in a work stoppage as long as the one we just went through for COVID, uh, I think the players are going to fight for this. I think this is something that is ultimately good for the betterment of the game. There, are, like, like I said, there's there's two or three maybe pitchers in the whole league that can hit and are worth watching as hitters. But uh, the amount of guys that can hit home runs and don't have jobs because there's nowhere for them to play is much higher. And it's something that if I was in the MLBPA, I would be arguing heavily for. I think it's going to make for a better game and I think it's going to make you know, for more exciting baseball, nobody wants to watch one free out every three innings. It's just not as good. Like, like imagine, I can't imagine a, a parallel 
in the NBA is just a guy who who can't do one of the basic things you're supposed to do, they would never get playing time. So, um, you know, it, it's it's something that I think I think it sticks. I think it'll make. I'm, I'm trying to think now. Maybe maybe Pat McCaw is exactly is exactly that <laughs> is a pitcher hitting who doesn't even try to put the ball in the basket. I appreciate that out of him. It's a. Uh... It's it's a bad look for Pat McCall when baseball fans know to make the comparison <laughs> of him as the equivalent of the pitcher batting ninth. No, this would be like if every nine possessions uh, when there's a foul, Nick Nurse comes in and shoots the free throws <laughs> instead of Kyle Lowry, um, like for no reason. Like they're just going to bring I mean, Nick is a pretty good basketball player, so maybe not the right comparison, but they would just bring like, uh, you know, the trainer to come in and shoot two free throws. Uh, to me, that's the equivalent of having the pitcher bat ninth. You know, you talked about the trade deadline and, and you know, how obviously with the DH, uh, there's going to be more options uh, for some of these guys to, to maybe land on a different team. So I was listening to like the, the Cespedes uh, barbecue guys, cause I'm a huge baseball fan now. Yes, uh, yes. First of all, can you explain the story of them to me? Is it like if I parlayed my love for Matt Thomas into a whole thing? Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, that is a pretty good, that is a pretty good callery. If you started, if you and like Will and, and one other guy started like a Matt Thomas, uh, dinner party, Twitter account, <laughs> And you just like celebrated all of the weird small things in the NBA that aren't like baseball is so weird. So much random shit happens. Like there's, there's so many weird small things that you can look at and that happen in the stands and over the course of the game. And if you had created an account based totally on figuring on celebrating those things, and then the NBA themselves were like, Hey man, we want to hire you because you have a viewpoint on this game that nobody else has. So then you end up working for NBA.com and they give you your own platform and say, do whatever you want with it. Uh, you, you, you get your own NBA.com account and you blow up and then there's a bidding war and you leave NBA for the ringer and the ringer is like, you do whatever you want. You would have whatever you want. And it just goes on and on. I think they're on DAZN as well. I think they do a highlight show on DAZN. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a really random sort of very indicative of that period on Twitter when like shit my dad says is getting a television show. It's just like, if it's popular on Twitter, throw whatever money you have to at them and, and, and they'll figure it out later. Um, they're good guys and they celebrate the game and, and in, in, a, in a space where a lot of people on Twitter and on the internet about baseball have gotten really bitter and really angry. They've maintained uh, celebrating the game and bringing a positive attitude. So I got to give them that, but uh, it's, it's difficult to replicate uh, formula. I guess if if you're a Canadian, maybe maybe Steve Dangle is sort of the best comparison. If you know of Steve Dangle, a guy who started doing like weird, goofy uh, Maple Leafs YouTube videos, and next thing you know, he's literally part of Sportsnet's digital coverage, and now he's a national television guy because he was on the internet and he was popular of his own accord and. The decision makers that are in, in power are like, well, I don't know how to do this, so let's just pay the guy who is already doing it. That's sort of the the comparison I would make uh, for small-time Canadian media. Yeah. Do you think it would help if I was white? Oh, of course. Oh, duh. Okay. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me uh, look into uh, Mark Zuckerberg's uh, skincare routine, uh, as noted by the photos uh, this week. Um <laughs> So, you know, 60 game season. Oh, so what I was going to say, I was listening to their podcast and they were talking about how they don't think there's going to be a lot of trades 
mm. at the deadline because uh, they think that the front office and the general managers are actually going to be aware of the fact that they don't want uh, to have to put the players through uh, moving to a new city with their family in the middle of a pandemic, uh, which I think might be uh, kind of naive totally. uh, of them. Um, do you agree with that at all? Or do you think it's business as usual? It's Listen, we're talking about billionaires. We're talking about like part of part of baseball transactions is bad teams will sign guys just with the intention of flipping them at the deadline. The Blue Jays did this with three different relievers last year where they signed a veteran reliever, used them until July, and then traded them to a good team. Uh, one of them ended up making the last out in the World Series. Uh, so there, there's, I think there's still going to be those bottom teams that are totally in rental mode, that have, that have guys that they are just intending on selling. Maybe there's a little less action than normal, but I don't think the pandemic will be the reason for that. I think it's more likely that 30 games into a 60 game season, more teams than normal will find themselves in the race. That to me is more of a reason than, uh, you know, they don't, the morality. I don't, I don't, I don't put morality on any single person that makes decisions in baseball, but that's never going to happen. They have these guys traveling. Like if it was, if it was a moral objection, they would not be traveling all over the country. That's, that's all credit to them. That's, that's a sweet, sweet idea but i don't think that's the case at all i think far more likely is a bad team is only four games back because they've only played 30 games and they talk themselves into maybe keeping a guy and trying to make a wild card run but uh yeah that's it's a good thought but i don't i don't give that any sort of uh real credit that 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 the morality will come into it yeah, you know, speaking of morality, one of my favorite topics is, uh, you know, collective bargaining mm-hmm. um, and labor negotiations. So how do we even get here with a 60-game season? Because I remember seeing a lot of back and forth, and, you know, the players were really upset at the owners, and I think there were different proposals uh, being passed around. And I guess, like, big picture-wise, uh, the owners basically said that they were going to lose money, and but they were willing to do, uh, uh, you know, play a, have a 60-game season is what they settled on. Uh, so... Like, how do we get to the 60 games and, you know, is either side happy about this? I don't think the players are particularly happy because uh, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, has sort of come out and said the quiet part loud that 60 games was pretty much always the plan for these guys. The, the, the problem with the negotiations earlier this summer and, and late spring was the owners didn't want to give the full prorated amount of the salaries these guys are earning. As I said before, they're, they're playing about 37% of a normal season. They didn't want basically to pay them 37% of their salaries, or if it was a hundred games, whatever that percentage is, probably 60 something. Uh, they wanted in line with how much they expected to lose to pay that much. Uh, when in reality is, you know, it's not the player's fault that the owners are losing money here. That's not how this works. But the, the recent history of, of, the relationship between the MLBPA and the MLB owners. It's been, it's been rocky for a while. Anyway, we remember the lockout in 94. There's still lots of scars from that, but basically baseball players get screwed. Like the, the idea that because there's no salary cap means they're the most well compensated. That is true for the upper like 5% of the league. And that is only the case after you've played for no money for the first three years of your career. And then arbitration money, for the next three years of your career. It takes seven years to get to free agency anyway. There's a bit of a wave now where guys are getting paid before that. But the big, big 
$100 million guys are a rarity. And more often than not is you'll see guys come in, they'll play three years, they'll make $500,000 each of those three years. And then when it's time to even get to arbitration, to even pay them like $1.5 million, the team will just cut them uh, and not tender them a new contract. The, the And that's not even to mention that like minor leaguers make like $5,000 a year. It's it's ridiculous. The, the, the payment system is basically to keep these guys on a team for 10 years without really paying them. And, and that bubbled over into owners not wanting to pay the full salaries that these guys signed on to, to pay. And uh, this was also a big thing. If you remember last year, uh, the free agency was a was like didn't start until free agent until spring training. Like Bryce Harper didn't sign until spring training had started. Manny Machado, one of the best players in the league, did not sign until like March. Uh, teams are just getting reluctant to spend money even on the top level guys, uh, even though the league makes billions of dollars a year on technology alone. The streaming software they developed. They sold to like Disney and HBO. They make owners make money without even playing games. Uh, profit does not really come from attendance. It do, obviously it does from a percentage, but they're not going to lose money as hand over fist as as it seems they are. Maybe the baseball operations side does, but owners are still going to make a lot of money on BamTech alone this year. So that is sort of where the frustration comes from because players are aware of that fact. Players are as informed as they ever have been, and and the re- owners really didn't want to budge, and they, in bad faith, offered 100 games and leaked it very publicly that they, were, they wanted to do 100 games, but not with prorated pay, and then, the base, and then basically what they got to was the deal that they agreed to to start this season for 60 games prorated pay was basically the point they started at in March. That was basically the first offer that was made was this, and then they negotiated for two months for nothing just to accept the original offer. So you can see how that would be a little bit frustrating if you were a player, especially if you were one of the guys who basically has to play this season because you don't have a guaranteed contract beyond this year. Yeah. I saw like David price, like paid out of his own pocket to pay like some of the minor league guys. And he, and he's one of the guys that's not even playing this season, right? Like he um, decided that he wasn't going to play. So it sounds like baseball is like pretty broken. Yes, absolutely. I it's it's the one sport where if you told me twenty years from now baseball folded and the MLB is no longer exists, I would believe it because they've done a really bad job of attracting young fans. Uh, there's a lot of really complicated factors that make it um, hard. It's a hard entry level sport. It's hard to like pick up if you don't already know what's going on. And most importantly, is at the lowest levels, it's really expensive to play. You can't. Like basketball, you can just shoot around by yourself and dribble by yourself and learn how to do that stuff by yourself. You can't practice fielding by yourself. You can't practice hitting by yourself. And you have to have a field and equipment. And more and more, it's becoming similar to hockey where it's really only for the upper crust. It's for rich white kids or kids whose dads played in the in the MLB. Uh, it's the system as to how they get talent has become really, really broken. And... Uh, it's a danger. It's it's in danger, which is a shame because uh, it, it it's a really fun sport when when everything's clicking. But there's a lot of negatives that have seeped into what becomes the viewership experience, and that's for people who are already big fans. I can't imagine trying to get into the league this year and and having no idea why and what things are happening. It, it's it's a shame, but there is some major work that needs to be done, and and unfortunately, a work stoppage 
uh, after 2021 might be the sort of fork in the road moment. I almost wonder if this 60 game season, um, the fact that people only need to tune in really for the two months and then the playoffs, like, do you think it could be on the flip side a positive, you know, people like myself, uh, you know, knowing that it's a low commitment, you know, kind of tuning in and finding out about new teams um, and, you know, enjoying some of these new rules. Do you think there can be a positive out of this? Yeah, I think there can be. If, if we get a fun story, if we get somebody that you didn't expect to make a run that makes a run, maybe a young team, maybe some somebody like the Atlanta Braves where a bunch of guys that were, that are fun to watch and exciting and, 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 you know, a really loud team. Uh, if they make a, if they make a breakthrough that maybe they capture the, the nation's attention. I, I hope that's the case. There is also the flip side of that is they're going to be directly competing with playoff basketball, which is, I think the biggest thing in sports right now, like they're basically going to be playing at the same time more so than ever before. Usually baseball sort of dominates the summer and people either tune in or tune out because they, they are relaxed. But yeah, I think there's definitely room for that. I think there's a chance at that. I think they also had that opportunity for all of July. If they had figured this out earlier, if they were playing a hundred game season and it started July the 4th, I think you would have people that have been watching baseball for the last three weeks that are like, you know what? I can get into this. It's something to watch for me and it's exciting and fun, but they missed that opportunity with that bad negotiating. Yeah. So, you know, you know, uh, as much as anyone that baseball is very uh, stat heavy. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, being a 60 game season, what do you think will be the most hilarious stats? I'm picturing like Justin Verlander going one and eight with like a 1.13 <laughs> ERA and winning the Cy Young. Yeah. Somebody I've been saying this as a, as a Blue Jays fan, they have a young pitcher that no one's really seen that throws like 103. Uh, he has a chance Really, it's not crazy to think that he could be Rookie of the Year and Cy Young because he's going to come out. Nobody will have seen him. There's no real tape on him. And usually, you know, what happens is he goes around, he makes his 30 starts, and by then one team has seen him a whole bunch of times. No hitter is going to face him in more than two games because they only play each team in two different series. And in the National League, they only play them in one series. So he's only going to face – he's going to make 12 starts – He's only going to face a batter maximum four times. It's not that crazy that he's completely dominant over 10 starts and wins rookie of the year and Cy Young or something like that. And the other one of that is like maybe someone hits 400 and we have to examine like, did he really hit 400 or did he just like, you know what I mean? Because hitting 400 has been this unattainable thing that Ted Williams did a million years ago and no one's ever going to do it again because no one hits like that anymore. But really, it's just it's just two good months. Somebody could hit 400 and then we'd have to totally re-examine what that means for the record books that, or like the major league leader in home runs hitting like 14. I think that's going to be hilarious. <laughs> no, I think that I want someone to have a 60 game hit streak. Um, I think that <laughs> would be amazing. And yeah, that that's really the main one I have. I think the pitching stats uh, will be hilarious. And like, what if someone hits like 40 home runs? say in the 60 games like do you prorate that and say that they broke the home run record right that that's like a that's like a hundred home run pace what do you even say about it there's something baseball loans itself to these crazy finicky things somebody will hit you know six home runs in the first week and we'll be talking about yeah can they hit can they hit 40 and 60 is that the would that be the craziest thing to ever happen in the league probably would but um there's going to be some anomalies there's going to be some guys that 
have no business being all-stars that end up being one of the best players in the league. It, it happens all the time. So the playoff format is still the same, right? The wild same. card game, yep. uh, the division winners, all of that stuff. Um, how many wins do you think it'll take to get into the playoffs? I've, I, I, you know, I, I feel like 40, I think 40 and 20, it seems like the right, it, it seems about right to me. It's, it's, it's achievable and, and prorated over a full season. It's like 108 wins. So that seems about right. The, the part of this that is sort of crazy is every win is almost worth three wins. So it's, it's like, I expect these races to all be really tight. I think 40 wins probably gets you into the playoffs. And I think, I think 37, 38 probably has you in a wild card spot that, that to me feels right. Maybe I'm, I can't tell. See, I can't tell. Do you think I'm overstating that or understating that? Do you think it's more or less than 40? I really can't tell. I thought you were going to say, like, say to make it to the wild card game, I feel like maybe if you win like 35. Right. Yeah. Even then that feels high. I feel like it's possible you could win like 32 games, like depending on how the rest of the league does. Right. That's But that's only two more wins than being a 500 team. Right. That That's, that's where I get... I get sort of lost as you can go 500 the whole season. And then in the last week you win your last two games and now you're, but that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. It's going to be really weird. And, and everybody's going to be in the playoff race until the last week. That, that is what should be the key to this. And, and I think to your point earlier about um, people that aren't huge fans, like not many teams are going to be eliminated in late September. Like there's, there's going to be an outside chance, especially when you play your divisions basically solely, every team is going to have a chance to have two good weeks and have their way, you know, into at least a wild card spot or at least a discussion. Yeah. I feel like you just need like one 10 game win streak and you're probably good. Yeah. And that happens all the time. Like the 2014 Blue Jays won 11 games in a row and they were terrible. So it's, it's, it's definitely possible. A team like the Rays, they always do that sort of shit or the, the athletics like it's there's there's plenty of options out there to pick of, of teams that isn't good that can end up making a playoff spot. I want a team to go five and fifty five or like a team <laughs> to go like fifty seven and three. I guess that would be like the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah, the Dodgers, the Dodgers could do it. And the Tigers, the Tigers could do the opposite. The Detroit Tigers should be really bad. So they have a chance of going like five and fifty. I, I, I don't think that's crazy. Or that would be amazing that would be amazing man um what about just in general you know talking about like extrapolating the stats and all that so are people just basically putting an asterisk on this season no matter what happens like to whoever wins i think i think you're gonna you know i think you will see like we're never gonna forget this right this is this is something that that no matter who wins in every league uh nba nhl uh, if they ever play the NFL um, and this, like we're always going to remember that the 2020 season was completely unlike anything else. It's, it's one of those ones where it's really going to be interesting to see. Cause like, if it's the Yankees, is that, is that just another, that's 28 rings. And it's like, Oh, the, the Yankees that continue their dominance. Or if it's the Dodgers who are breaking a 40 year drought in winning a world series, is that, as big a celebration for them because they can't do it in front of fans. Or if it's, if it's a, if it's a franchise that wins their first title, how will those fans react to that? It's going to be really interesting. That's one of the interesting subplots that, especially as the playoffs pick up in all these sports, I'm really interested in seeing. I think there's always going to be 
uh, remembrance that this that this happened in this way. But it's also, you know, it's not that different than a strike shortened year. It's not that different than any year where they don't play the, the full slate of games. But um, I think for sure we're always going to remember that that especially because, you know, we're in an era where everything is televised and it's all going to be recorded. Like the final out of the World Series happening with no fans is going to be really weird. Those guys running in together and hugging and jumping and it being dead silent. That's going to be that's going to be a really, really, really strange moment if we get all the way there. Yeah, I almost think like just because, you know, like, you know, the playoffs in baseball is such a small sample size and like anything can happen that it's really no different once you get to the playoffs as any other season. Like if anything, the asterisk will be more like if a team comes out of nowhere and just like you said, has a really good like 60 game season uh, when like, you know, otherwise they probably wouldn't make the playoffs. Because like I look at a team like the Dodgers, like they've been like a great team for like this many years and like they've they haven't won the World Series. But like if they get it done, if they get in the playoffs and and they win it this year, I don't think it'll be any different from another year because it's the same playoffs. Yeah, I think that's a, I, mean, I think that's a fair assessment. I think sort of to your point, it's going to depend on the quality of the team that does it. If people feel like the team doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs and they win it. That'll be one thing, but if the Dodgers or the Yankees, if, if it's one of those really big powerhouse teams that is supposed to be the best team in the league, to your point, yeah, I think it is the same playoffs, and baseball playoffs are horrendously unfair in the best of years, so why should this be any different? Yeah, so do you think the shortened season specifically benefits or penalizes uh, any specific teams in the league? Yeah, I think I think you look at and not not to be a homer, but I think it does benefit teams like the Blue Jays, uh, young teams, teams that um, you, you know fresh legs and are really going to go a long way. I, I think of teams like the Atlanta Braves uh, as well. That you know it, it's not going to matter as much, I don't think, as it would in a big season to have a great pitching staff because you know. Great pitching is all about the long run. It's all about every five, every day you have an ace out there and it's this unrelenting thing where no one can ever penetrate it. But with only 12 starts, if you have two bad starts, you sort of have lost that power to the same way. And, and you can sort of manage it like you would a playoff series where you go bullpen heavy and you go matchup heavy and you really try to ring every single out out of the season and just try to hit your way through things. So I think there are any, any young team, any creative team, I think of teams like the Rays, uh, maybe the Athletics, uh, the Jays for sure, uh, the Braves, um, you know, I think that's the sort of team that you can see looking at this and saying, you know, we have a shot that we didn't have over 162 games. And uh, teams with streaky players is another big thing because, you know, those guys can be MVP quality or they can knock it on base for two weeks. And as long as that lines up the right way, you really only need to have 40 really great games from, from that collection of those guys. And suddenly you're in the driver's seat in your division. So I think those are absolutely the teams that are looking at this and saying, maybe our window is open a little sooner than it should be and, and hoping to make the most of it. And we're seeing stuff like the Blue Jays shifting Vlad to first base instead of third happening this year because suddenly that window is open that, yeah, maybe they're a 2020 playoff team. Maybe they make a wild card run. Maybe they're ahead of schedule and, 
even though it's not quite fair, fans in Toronto see it and go, oh, I'm, we all saw what happened in 2015 and 2016 when it was a playoff team. Fans went crazy and, and they became a huge attraction. And, and that's a big moneymaker for that team. So to be given the impression that you're ahead of schedule would go a long way for a team like that. So I think that is the kind of team that believes they have developed a huge advantage by playing less games. Yeah, I can't wait for Bo Bichette to hit a walk-off uh, World Series winning three-run homer at PNC Park. <laughs> um, that's going to be awesome. So, uh, all right, so we're going to get into me. Uh, Zub's helping me pick uh, my team's to bandwagon for this baseball season on tomorrow's episode. So we'll be back for part two tomorrow.